now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things and occasionally we swear. My esteemed co-host for this episode is Dr. Stella Gaynor. Hello, Stella. Hey, Dan. You all right? Hello. And, and I am Dan, uh, otherwise known as T.D. Velasquez. And... I said at the start of this episode that, you know, sometimes we talk about other uh, other things. And this, I guess, is kind of other things. Because mm. what are we going to talk mm-hmm. about today, Stella? Red Dwarf! All right, we're <laughs> going to talk about Red Dwarf. The, the British science fiction sitcom, which began in 1988 and is pretty oh, much God. still going. Um, <coughs> yes. I think it might be the longest running sitcom. Uh, well, no, it can't be because, well, maybe it is now because mm. Laughter of the Summerwine finished like 10, 12 years ago. But, but up till that <laughs> point, it had been running for nearly 30 years. Um, God. Uh, but but Red Dwarf must be kind of giving it a run for its money now, and, and I can't think of anything yeah. else. Um, so the reason Stella and I have wanted to talk about Red, Red Dwarf on the podcast for quite a while, um, and the reason is because, yeah, it's a, it's a sitcom, but there are some scary episodes and some nightmare-inducing episodes um, that have, I, I think, haunted both of us uh, for a long time. Um, and we shall, for an hour or so, we shall expound on that. And listeners, I guess you, if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably a horror fan. Therefore, I don't want to assume that you are hugely familiar with Red Dwarf. Um it is, like I say, a science fiction sitcom based on the premise that on a mining ship run by the Jupiter Mining Corporation, in the first episode, this is about 200 years in the future, in the first episode, the entire crew are wiped out except by a radiation leak, except for one crew member, um, a fairly lowly crew member called Dave Lister, who was in a suspended <laughs> animation at the time as punishment for a minor... Uh, misdemeanor about is it five million years later Stella three million three years. million years later the ship's computer Holly wakes him up and um, although everybody else on the crew has died there are other characters around um, Lister's cat has evolved into a, a sort of humanoid feline species known simply as Cat, this individual played by Danny John Jules. Uh, Lister, by the way, is played by the poet and comedian Craig Charles. Um, and poet, comedian and DJ Craig DJ Charles. These days, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I saw him on stage once, you know, Stella. I mean, isn't right. that's not an amazing claim to fame. For a while, he used to play uh, on Manchester every Saturday night at, I think, the um, uh, Band on the Wall, I think, yeah. in Manchester. But... Um, uh, but I used to see him regularly enough at work when I was at Media City. Oh, right. um, so he was doing Radio Six in the building next door, and 
the first time I saw him, he was he was coming out, and um, he was on his phone, and I saw him, and I clearly went, Lister! Right! <laughs> so because I kind of went, at him, he held up his hand, and I gave him a high five, and I was very, very pleased Aww. to have high-fived Dave Chinsano Bianco Lister. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. I think that qualifies you for a clang, Stella. In the ab- oh, yeah, Clang! In the absence of Ian, you can have the Clang. My story Yay. about being in the audience at one of his gigs doesn't really cut it, but no. I, I do remember his introduction to himself. He said, some of you will know me as Dave Lister from Red Dwarf, but that's not really me. Some of you will know me from, I can't remember the character's name, from Coronation Street, but that's not really me. My name is Craig Charles. I play funk and I play soul. <laughs> That's it. Oh, that's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly not. Anyway, so that inter- anyway. interrupted my summer- summary of the premise of Red Dwarf. So yeah, so then having once Lister has woken up, acquainted himself with Cat, he's also got the company of the ship's computer Holly, which is initially played by not uh, as a face on a screen played by the comedian norman lovett later becomes mm. the comedian hattie hayridge do we even still use the word comedian i don't know but um <laughs> uh, we did in the 80s which is when it happened we did in the 80s um, so um and because holly is afraid that lister will go insane because of the solitude he resurrects one of the crew members as a hologram to keep him company and because for some reason holly calculates that it will be best to resurrect someone who he does not get on with in terms of keeping his psyche his psyche balanced um, he resurrects an absolute oik called arnold j rimmer played by the marvelous chris barry the j by the way stands for judas as we later find out um and and then later in the series we get another character added who is um a repair droid called Crichton, initially played by david ross but mostly played by robert llewellyn um who they pick up on on a misadventure and he sticks with them um and he's a delightfully uh He's kind of a comedy take on C-3PO, although C-3PO is already a comedy character, but he's um, he's mm. a spin on that. He's a very obsequious, very well-meaning droid with a soft Canadian accent, I, at least <laughs> um, when I was uh, watching it when I was younger, I wouldn't have been able to distinguish between a Canadian accent and an American accent, but apparently that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and... Um, Yes, he always kind of talked like this. Mr. Lister, sir. Um, and yes, so um, that is the premise of the show. Once those characters are established, it goes in all kinds of funny directions. It initially did eight series on the BBC. Not every year, they kind of, there were a number of significant long gaps. Then it disappeared completely for a long time. Then it came back and it's on Dave made by dave channel for itself now and i think they've made three or four series and like a special Mm. tv movie and it comes back every few years and to be honest i haven't seen all of the most recent stuff but the first six series i watched which which happened between 1988 and i guess 1993 i watched and watched and watched and watched so what's your history Mm. with red dwarf style um my my sister is 11 years older than me um so there was lots of bits of i guess pop culture and music and stuff that i picked up from her when i was a kid um 
certainly lots of my early music taste I definitely got from my sister um and at the time when I was like 10 10 or 11 yeah 9 10 11 my sister's uh, then husband used to work a lot of nights and my sister had uh, two little babies so I would frequently go and stay over at my sister's house on a Friday night so you know she's got some company my sister was a quite young mum and my sister would watch it would watch Red Dwarf on BBC Two at nine o'clock after Gardener's World and I sat up I I watched it with her um, and then yeah I just carried on carried on watching it and I seem to remember when it was on on a Friday night at nine o'clock after Gardener's World and Gardener's World always ran over and it drove me wild um I had to watch it on the portable TV upstairs in mum and dad's bedroom because they they didn't want to watch it they wanted to watch something else downstairs on the big TV so watching Red Dwarf on a Friday night as it was coming out weekly mm-hmm. I remember being sort of sat in my mum and dad's bedroom sat on their big bed watching it on the uh, on the little telly and right. having um, slowly collecting all the episodes on, on VHS over the years. I had a big, long shelf of uh, Red Dwarf videos because you'd only fit three episodes on a tape. Yes, yes, I've still <laughs> so got many so of those. Yeah. I had loads. Um, and then, so I watched it and watched it. I kind of didn't wa- re-watch it for a number of years, and then I got a load of the seasons i think seasons one to four i think i got them on dvd when we got a dvd player mm. in the early 2000s so i started re-watching them again and again and again and again and i got a couple of mates who were big fans and our friendship mainly consists of us quoting red dwarf <laughs> right. each other red dwarf or the big lebowski one of the two um Both good choices. and then yes mm. and then my daughter who's now 13 I guess about four years ago or so, um, all of Red Dwarf landed on Netflix. It's gone now, unfortunately, but it was on Netflix for a couple of years. And I sat her down. It's <laughs> <was> like, right, <laughs> you know, you're going to watch this. And she was like, oh, God, really? And then within five minutes, she was just like, this is brilliant. So she watched them all back to back. Right. And then um, I read the books to her as, as bedtime stories. Oh, brilliant. As well. And then... Yeah, so it's kind of there, there was a few years where it wasn't really in my life. I guess when I was at uni and you know no money and, and stuff, mm-hmm. and then yeah. So now, for instance, my daughter is obsessed as I am, and she had when she went away this this year on her um, what's it called the outward bound thing that they do with school where they go and make them go up mountains and stuff in the snow okay <laughs> she right. went and did that and she came back she looked like she'd been at war right <laughs> she came back and i said oh well done mate you've been away for a week it's like right come in come home you can do anything for this evening what would you like and she's like i want a pizza and to watch red dwarf <laughs> oh. <laughs> so already she was like in order to feel comfy and nice and warm and at home mm. i want a pizza red dwarf doesn't like, right blanket on the sofa ordered her a pizza and uh said the Red Dwarf has gone off uh, Netflix now. She's right, we can buy a series on Amazon for like a fiver. Which season do you want? So we sat and watched them all when she came back so she could feel at home again. Oh, so it's passed on already that Red Dwarf is uh, definitely comfort mm. TV for sure. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I, I can identify with with your daughter's um, reaction there. I think that was is very much that's how I felt about Red Dwarf as a, as a young teenager. So I started watching it. I think when series five uh, was on, 
um, and definitely definitely when Series 6 was first on. And around about that time, I was at just starting secondary school, and they started to repeat the entire series from the beginning on Friday mm. nights on BBC Two. So I would watch I watched most of the series from the beginning, although I missed significant chunks. And in fact, I missed the first ever episode. I didn't see that for about eight more right. years. Um, and then... Like a few years later, I was doing my GCSEs, and I, I suppose I can slightly credit Red Dwarf with the fact that I passed my GCSEs because it was part of my revision routine. I would, yeah. I spent a whole day where I did half an hour's revision, and as a reward, I allowed myself to watch an episode of Red Dwarf, and then I did another half an hour's revision, and then another <laughs> episode. And by the end of the day, I'd got through the whole of series five. Mm. which remains my favourite series. Yes, it, it probably says something psychological about me that my that I rewarded myself with something as, in, in terms of time, something as significant as the time I'd put in. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't reward myself with a sweet or a chocolate bar or 10 minutes of something. I, like, I want another half an hour of the, to the equivalent of the half an hour I've just lost. I want it back. And... Um, <laughs> But it was a wonderful day, and to this day, Series 5 is, is still my favourite, I think. Um, so, Stella, why should we be talking about Red Dwarf on a horror podcast? There are several reasons, and I think the glare, most glaringly obvious one is its frequent use of monsters or monstrous characters. Sure. So, while we've got the comedy going on we've got the clear a clear sitcom situational comedy in the same situation and they reset every week and the characters don't learn anything nobody gets any better nobody improves as a person yeah. so everyone just stays the same and repeats the same mistakes over and over again so we've got that going on as, as the sitcom we've got all the sci-fi stuff and we can expect monsters in sci-fi you know look at alien but it's it's got it's lots of links to quite traditional methods of of TV horror, really, of using, you know, the the shonky sets and monsters where you, they can only afford for you to see their hands. Yeah, or yeah. You can only see the puppet ones because, and they've cut, it's covered in slime because you can see all the glue joins and, and you know, it's it it just feels that very sort of hands-on, handmade, mm. monstrous space monsters or or monstrous characters, characters that are out to, that are out to get them because they have no no humanity because they're they're not human. Um, and there's there's so many episodes where so you know going back to showing my daughter them again there was there was a few episodes particularly when she must have been like nine or ten I think when we started watching it and there was some episodes when they were on I was like looking across at her on the, at the sofa like to make sure is that is she all right with this is this scaring her is she okay with it and, and she was fine with it and it's it was it was seeing it through you know a much younger person's eyes there's that oh this might actually be a bit be a bit scary because when I was when I watch it, I'm I'm just roaring, laughing. It's like mm, there are horror sequences in here. They mm. are creeping round corners. It has gone dark. There is tense music going on. There is going to be a big monstrous reveal. Yeah, there's great you atmosphere know. in in the in mm. the good um, scary episodes. I mean, I would say it, if the, the listener is new to Red Dwarf, I think the horror stuff is kind of concentrated around the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth series. For some reason, there. Mm. They, they kind of pushed the boat out. I think 
linking to what you've just said. The fact that it was made at a time when there was no other sci-fi on TV, there was no Doctor Who, there was no Black Seven. Yeah. Basically, I, I think they had... The, the Red Dwarf production team had the pick of the best special effects people at the BBC because they had nothing else to do. So suddenly Red Dwarf has really good sort of spaceships in it. Um, uh, and yeah, the budget is, is very limited, but it's quite creative with it. And the fact that... Yeah, it's very creative. Certainly in like the... I think it's the fourth to the sixth series. And maybe it continues that later on, but I think it does it in more of a kind of cerebral or, or purely sitcom way. It does a kind of anything mm. for a laugh approach but with sci-fi concepts added to it. But in the second, in those series that I mentioned, they tend to be like on a different planet every week. Yeah. You know, it's really ambitious in terms of the, mm. the designer and therefore you, 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 you encounter different dangers on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, even in the episodes, I would say, are not very horrorish. You, you get things like unpleasant alien creatures who try to m- mm. make human sacrifices of the heroes and things um so uh, so what i'd like to do is, is just discuss a few episodes and kind of go into detail about about the horror side of them um and listeners if you are not familiar with red dwarf and you're thinking about watching it Obviously, we recommend it. Go watch it. The most, some of the episodes we mentioned, we are going to spoil because I think it's going to be very difficult to mm. kind of explain how the horror aspect works in certain episodes without giving away the ending. But you know, it's only a thirty-minute thing, and it's we're not going to spoil the jokes, so it's still worth watching. Um, so um, yeah, there's there's so many episodes um, in that kind of position in the series i should say there are are some psychological horror episodes earlier in the series like in the very first series there's an episode called confidence and paranoia isn't there where um, (laughs) is it lister's confidence and paranoia his from his psychological makeup get externalized and turn into two characters yeah because he's 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 poorly he gets is it space it's not, it's not the one where he's got space mumps. He's, ju- he's just he's just sick. He, he goes down onto a one of the floors that's not been decontaminated or, or something. So he's, he's just mooching around the ship because he's bored and he comes back sick. And uh, there his, the hallucinations are kind of like his fever yeah, manifested. Right, yeah. So he has a fever dream at some point and it starts raining fish. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, gee. And, and... Yeah, and then his confidence and paranoia turn up and confidence is like a... An American sort of car salesman type who calls him Hey King. Yeah, the whole time. and he's actually played by Craig Ferguson, who went on to be right. the host of the Late Late Show. Is it the Late Late Show in America, which is yeah. currently hosted by James Corden? Um, uh, well, indeed. Um, uh, yeah, and it's it's a great kind of flashy performance, but he's also his confidence has a kind of psychotic underside to it. Yeah. So that it Tries becomes quite himself. dark. Yeah. 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 Well, how does he do it? I can't remember. They go outside the ship. Yeah, there's a space God. walking element to it. There's a space walk. Right, yeah. there we I remembered now. Yeah. So, yeah, so they he want he's, Lister wants the disc with Kachansky on it because he wants her to come back so he can ask her out on a date. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But this is his <laughs> his um, unrequited love interest. Yeah. Who he wants he wants her to be the hologram instead of Rimmer. Instead That's of kind Rimmer. of a running thread through the first couple of seasons. <laughs> but Rimmer obviously won't let. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so they go on a spacewalk, I think, to get the disc back or something. And That's right. Confidence says, yeah, take your helmet off. You don't need oxygen. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is, it is very dark. That he's trying to... Well, it's the, the illness they're trying to kill killing the host, and, isn't it? And but... there, there is this darkness running through the whole first couple of seasons, which is the loneliness. Yeah. Um, and it's a very kind of... Um, you know, classic British sitcom, a couple of characters in a really isolated situation where, mm. and kind of a no-hoping kind of life where they've only got each other, they've got nothing else. It's kind of step to one son, you know. Um, mm. it's kind of, It kind of go, draws on like waiting for Godot. It's got that quality to it. Um, yeah. And uh, in the first couple of seasons, that loneliness, like Lister, is always thinking about the people who've died. Yeah. The, the wonderful thing where he wakes up and he says to Holly, you know, uh, is Peterson dead? They're dead, Dave. They're all dead, <laughs> Dave. Everybody's dead, Dave. <laughs> Everybody is dead, Dave. Everybody's dead, Dave. <laughs> um, and you get a lot of flashbacks to the uh, uh, to the dwarf before the disaster happened. The people are alive, and then it will kind of do a melancholy fade to the empty refectory, you know, things yeah. like that. Then in the second season, there's an episode where um, (laughs) they all wake up having lost a couple of days' worth of memory and they've got strange uh, injuries that are inexplicable. (laughs) And it turns out that it's all come about because of, in a moment of compassion, Lister gave Rimmer his memories of a love affair that he had. So Rimmer is then... Thinking that this will be a treat for Rimmer, but actually Rimmer is then consumed with grief that he's lost this love, um, and they all decide it was a really bad idea and they should just erase all their memories, and that's why the, the two days have gone. Um, Rimmer finds out that he, well, he thinks that Lister was having an affair with Lisa Yates because oh, he it. finds the letters. <laughs> <laughs> the woman I loved had a tongue in your ear. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so again, you know, the, there's a lot of, of kind of emotional um, isolation, hopelessness, that kind of horror in the yeah. first season. In the later seasons, bleak. that is offset by the fact that it has a more of an adventure feel. They go and do different things. They mm. meet aliens. They they kind of have more of a fun time. But that is where the monster horror side of things comes into yeah. it. Um, and that's 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 the stuff that I really like, and that I remember being particularly disturbed by. So, um, let's discuss a few episodes. Okay. So, I think the first kind of horror episode that that we've both um, chatted offline about is Polymorph, which is from season three, um, Red Dwarf three, as it's known, um, in which a shape shifting alien gets aboard the dwarf and um uh how would you how would you describe the horror of polymorph stella uh well we see it in its monstrous form twice i think don't Mm. we Mm. when it comes out of the bin and then when they catch it in the cargo bay but any other time, it's shapeshift, so it's like it's a beach ball. Yes. It's a, it's a remote control car. It's a kebab. It's a pair of underpants. <laughs> so it's a really inventive use of the concept as well. You know, yeah. it's not just people. So it could be anything, yeah. and we've it, 
is set up where we, the audience, see the polymorph go into a room. Yeah. Go into the little kitchen space, I believe. We see it bouncing as a bouncy ball, and we see it land on his plate and turn into a kebab. So we know that it's there. So it's a tense scene because we're waiting for Lister and, and Crichton, I think, to to realise that it's there. And then it starts to attack Lister. <laughs> it turns itself into a pair of underpants. He puts them on. They shrink. <laughs> An inspired mode of attack. Yeah, I think anyone would. Agree. And then, and then it jumps out of the bin in, in its horrifying form. And it's a big, dripping, mm. tentacly, roaring alien that you pointed out that it has the has the double mouth. Yeah, well, like it's a xenomorph. Yes, it's a Geiger-esque, isn't it, with the double jaw? Yeah. Uh, and it's got. And yeah, like it, it's dripping and latexy. It's very 80s horror movie yeah, kind of thing. Very um, so it's like the plot of the thing, mm. but it uses the design, some of the design ideas. It, it affectionately rips off from Alien. And then it does yeah. really inventive spin on the whole. It can change shape. It could be anything kind of stuff. And there's the the emotional horror to it as well because of the way it manipulates because it steals emotions doesn't it yeah it's, whenever yeah, it attacks it, a person it feeds. the way the polymorph works is that whenever it attacks someone it steals an emotion from them doesn't it so it deliberately takes on shapes which provoke certain emotions it's a sort of emotional vampire it changes shape to provoke a negative emotion in lister's case it took him to the very limit of his terror and then sucked out his fear so now lister's got no sense of fear precisely what are we gonna do <sighs> well i say let's get out there and twat it <laughs> <laughs> at one point he turns into rumor's mom which is possibly the most <laughs> memorable moment um in order to provoke <laughs> alphabetty spaghetti <laughs> in order to provoke his anger um I, uh, it, it steals the cats oh no i, I think it's in polymorph 2 there is a sequel episode in, in red dwarf 6 where they they get another polymorph now to to be invaded by another one polymorph. polymorph could be carelessness <laughs> or it could be an unfortunate Events, but to be invaded by two looks like carelessness. But um, yeah, in, in Polymorph Two, it steals it really steals his cool, I think. But in um, Polymorph One, I can't remember what he steals from the cat. Um, in Polymorph One, he's it steals his is it his vanity? Because oh, that's like right. A sort of... It becomes a bum, doesn't he? He's like yeah, he's a bum with like scruffy hair and a and a jacket that smells, and he's got like a bottle of liquor in a paper bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm nobody. I'm not here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's brilliant. By the way, we've not even mentioned that Red Dwarf was created by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, and the first yes. six seasons are written by the two of them in collaboration. Rob Grant later left. And Doug Naylor writes the, the subsequent ones in collaboration with a series of different writers. Um, and it is brilliantly written, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. the concept of every episode is wonderfully explored. So, And Polymorph is a great example. It's not just a comedy version of the thing. It does the emotions thing. It does the... Mm. It can be anything, you know, it 
does funny stuff with the objects that it turns into um and it and it succeeds as a character piece because of the different shapes that the creature takes to provoke the different emotions mm. um and yes that's a wonderful one um it's also got the classic you know in the in the third act where they're they're creeping around the cargo bay i think to to find it so they're oh, looking yeah. around corners they don't know where it is it could be everything so it's it's got that that's the bit of it to me that feels the most alien yes and, and they've got bazookoids haven't they? have they got bazookoids by yeah. that point which is their kind of weapons that look a bit like the kind of big lowest long rifles that they have in aliens as mm. well so mm. um i think it's possibly not this episode but there is an episode as well where they do the motion tracker thing don't they <laughs> yeah. they've got something which beeps when the monster is is nearby um so that would be uh, the first call of a, of a horrorish episode, um, and luckily we can't spoil too much about it. We've only got a few minutes for each one, and they're thirty minutes long. They're so well worth watching. Um, yeah. Like Stella says, they're not on Netflix anymore. I think they might be on BritBox. Um, all the later series, the post BBC series, are available on UK TV Play. Um, yeah. Not all the time, but they frequently appear there, so it's it's worth checking them out. And they are enjoyable. The ones I've seen I've enjoyed, but mm. they just don't um, quite capture the same um, kind of adventurous comedy um, mm. as the original series did. And also, they're, they're maybe not as sharp in terms of character, because may, I think... Rob Grant and Doug Naylor together had a really great way of writing characters Absolutely. interacting. Um, so <laughs> let's mention a few other horror-themed episodes then. Um, uh, do we want to go chronological or do we just want to do a grab bag? We've, we've, we've directed the listener to know that these are all from the kind of middle four series. Middle, yeah. Um, I'd... I'd like to throw in uh, quarantine. Oh, oh my God! Possibly my favourite. Oh yeah. <laughs> when is she, the doctor? Doctor Landstrom, is it? Doctor, is my name is Doctor Hildegard Landstrom, and I'm quite, quite mad. Yeah. <laughs> quite mad. Yes. <laughs> when she sits up out of the stasis thing, I think she says that, and she turns around and she goes, and her eyes glow. Yeah. That's really scary. No, it is. <laughs> and it's not that... Um, so, okay, so I suppose we've got to explain what's going on. So in quarantine, yeah. um, is it a distress <laughs> signal that brings them to the place? So I think it is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, the, the, they come across a kind of abandoned scientific base and they're investigating it, but they discover that one of the scientists who was there is still alive and is frozen. And she is dying, but she is... Uh, oh, oh, she's a hologram, isn't she? She has a hollow mm. virus. And she has a kind yeah. of uh, a kind of infection that she wants to pass on to another hologram, i.e. Rimmer. Um, and, uh, and um, yeah, when, when they find her, they kind of... Uh, firstly, I'm not really sure why a hologram would need to freeze itself, but whatever... <laughs> Red Dwarf normally is really good with these kind of details, but um, maybe, maybe it was just a trap. 
maybe she does want but anyway they they open up this kind of sarcophagus like chamber that she's frozen in and this kind of wizened corpse leans out of the dry ice and makes this noise which as you say you described it as screaming i think but it's, it's kind of like <laughs> and the, you know um it's like they've slowed down a wolf's howl or something yeah it's, it's a, really disturbing uh, yeah it's awesome and also it's got the glowing red eyes and mm. um uh they do manage to get away from her but unfortunately the virus is transmitted to to rimmer um uh, and he... But they don't know that yet, do they? He puts them in quarantine. So doesn't oh, it start? Right. Yeah, doesn't the episode yeah. start with Rimmer says something wrong, and Crichton says, "Well, Space Corps Directive Four Seven One, oh, yeah. something, something yeah. else." So Rimmer's like, "Who's that? Never actually seen this Space Corps Directive? Has <laughs> actually seen it?" So Rimmer's furnished with one by by Holly, a hologrammatic one. So when they come back off the ship from Dr. Landstrom's madness and they've escaped and it's like we're going to quarantine a uh, one birth quarantine place for for every member of the crew but he's put them all in one place all in one birth because only Lister is the crew right yeah Crichton isn't registered crew and Cat isn't registered crew so he's doing it all by all by the book mm. <laughs> so he's giving them like um entertainment and it's like how to crochet <laughs> book and <laughs> Um, some puzzles that are all filled in. <laughs> oh dear! And they've got sprout sprouts for look, breakfast, dinner, and tea. <laughs> yes, sprout crumble. Um. Sprout crumble. <laughs> oh, but then, gee. yeah. But then Rimmer is infected, isn't he? So he becomes. Yes. Yeah, so, um, he starts answering to Mr. Flibble. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so because Rimmer doesn't actually go to the base <laughs> with them, so he, so therefore he, he he acts like they could be infected, so he quarantines yeah. them. But what they don't realise at first is that the virus can be transmitted uh, over radio waves or whatever. It's over the radio, and, isn't and it? it? And it gets to him that way, and he appears. Um, at the observation port. Oh my God, this is great! Again, this is it has a great <laughs> way of just employing great horror technique, but which is also funny. So, uh, I'm sorry, I keep giggling, but it's so funny. <laughs> just before the reveal uh, that you see the kind of insane rimmer, the observation window is dark, yeah. and you just hear his voice go, "Gentlemen." Your conversation makes interesting listening. One of them says, how long have you been here? And he goes, three, maybe four hours. (laughs) It's just, it's totally chilling. And Chris Barry uh, is terrifying. Legend. I mean, uh, and then there's an episode called Angels and Demons, which I think we'll we'll, we'll talk about in a bit more detail as well. And in both of those episodes, both these episodes are from season five, by the way, which is, again, uh, why this season is my favourite. Um, you know, he's he's really menacing in both. He He's not a serious actor in theory. Um, you know, he's no. ma- before Red Dwarf, he's mainly known for doing voices on Spitting Image. Spitting Image, but, yeah. Um, but he's, he, he has a, a genuine flair for kind of weird the the kind of weird poise and the suspense begetting slowness <laughs> he has that anthony hopkins kind of stillness of the madman kind of thing yeah. you know 
Um, and th these episodes give him great stuff to do. You don't think there's anything amiss? I'm sitting here wearing a red and white checked gingham dress <laughs> and army boots. <laughs> you think that's unamiss? No, of course not. It's just we thought you'd gone nuts. We were trying to heal you. I was just doing a little test. A little test to see if you'd gone crazy. <laughs> if there's one thing I can't stand, it's crazy people. Well, we've passed the test, Rimmer. You can let us out. I can't let you out. Why not? Because the king of the potato people won't let me. That's a marvellous scene, and it just... It just gets better. Um, the the tension is really well maintained. I, I think something interesting about season five is that it's one of the more, more fraught production seasons. Um, mm. They they didn't have a proper director. They assigned a new director. Having the first four seasons were directed by Ed Bai, who's very... He's married to Ruby Wax, and he's very established in the comedy world. He directed loads of every major comedy series of the early 90s. For some reason, he left Red War for that point, and they got in a director called Juliet May, who didn't really gel with it, so she kind of left halfway through the season. And there are some episodes where there are multiple director credits because she directed some of them but then she left she directed part of the episode but then she left and there was nobody else to take over as director so rob grant and doug naylor actually stepped in and directed the episodes themselves and did a great job i think it comes across as mm. possibly the best directed series and it's because it it does moments like that so well it, it has real spine chilling stuff but it's never at the expense of the humor or the characters no and the technique is perfectly suited to, to the material there's the, although red dwarf six i think does continue it very well with a director called andy de Amony, who's a drama director um who does a good job um kind of in a similar style but, um, yeah, I, I, I love Quarantine, possibly my favourite. Is there anything else you'd like to say about that one? Um. <laughs> no. <laughs> OK. We, just, we don't want to... Just running the episode through in my head. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to spoil it more than we have done for any listeners who've not seen it. Go and watch it. It's fantastic. Um, I, sticking to that season, then, so we've got... Um, We've got other horror-themed episodes. We've got Terraform, which is a, an episode where they go to a like a genetically engineered planet, which mm. changes based on the psychology of the people living on it. I think it was designed that way because it was supposed to be like a uh, you, you know a heaven planet, a haven, um, a paradise place for people to go. It's quite a Star Trekky idea. Um, but anyway, because for some reason, everybody, nobody's lived on this planet, and the dwarf arrives, so it maps itself onto Rimmer's psyche, and because he's a, he's a weirdo, depressive, <laughs> it, the, the planet becomes like a hellscape, and at one point, Rimmer is going to be sacrificed by the monster of his, of his own psyche, um, yeah. and, and that's <laughs> quite memorable, and also has some great... Um, 
uh, model effect type of stuff in it because the planet becomes such a nightmarish mess that the Starbug, which is the vehicle that they use when they're leaving Red Dwarf, is a small spaceship that they use to travel to to um, nearby destinations. Starbug gets like swamped in mud and mm-hmm. almost kind of swallowed by the planet itself. Um, so that's, that's really good. Um, there's also an episode called Back to Reality, which um, <laughs> I, I, I don't think quite falls into this kind of monster horror thing that we've been talking about, but it's it's full of psychological horror. That's the episode, it, and which is possibly the best episode ever, where they, they basically wake up and they've discovered that the last five years of their life has been a computer game. Um, and they're actually totally different people. Um, and the psychological horror of it comes from their slow realisation that they're all horrible. Uh, like, uh, Lister is basically a Nazi eugenics sort of guy he runs like an evil corporation um there's a fantastic scene in it and this is a a note to that should be known by horror fans lenny von dolan from twin peaks turns up in a cameo appearance and red dwarf does have this nice ability to just attract um actors to do really brief appearances Mm. um and and it gets these very bizarre big names to just kind of show up and do one scene so lenny von dolan plays a character who's just called cop and he's supposed mm-hmm. to he's he's supposed to work for Lister, and the first yeah. thing you see him doing is he's he, he's going to shoot a young girl who's running away. Uh, he's like, stop, voter. Yes, and, and they they kind of get in the way of him, and he says, Neil, voters, she was stealing an apple of the people. <laughs> And he does this kind of wonderfully deranged, sort of subtly insane performance. And you get this whole sense of like a whole society that's gone to hell. It's really dystopian, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's nightmarish. Um, and and they, all, they all get suicidal again. You know, suicide, I guess, crops up quite regularly in, in Red Dwarf. And yes, it, of course, it all... Because they all it, want to blow their heads off. And it does have um, a, a, a very kind of... Uh, monster horror opening sequence where they find a sunken <laughs> ship on an ocean SS planet. Esperanto. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, and, they have to, and they realise that all the crew killed themselves and they have to work out yeah. why that happened. But It's the despair squid. Yes, the despair squid is like uh, has fired its despair ink at the ship and, and they've all been plunged into suicidal only. Um <laughs> Uh, so are they going to eat us, fight us, or hold us? <laughs> yeah, it's There's that wonderful bit where um, they've already boarded the ship and then Crichton kind of belatedly decides to run a scan to see if there's any poison in the atmosphere. <laughs> and he looks at the machine it and goes, work. and we're going to live. Live. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just wiping the dust off the side and it's like extreme contamination or it's like you must, must wear a suit and the, the side scanner won't work <laughs> so we're a real Mickey Mouse outfit aren't we 
it's, oh, it's just that's so wonderful. Okay, so we've only got a few minutes left. I did mention that we talk about angels and demons. It's another really yes. good one. Um, in, in, basically, there, there's an, they're doing an experiment on the Red Dwarf with some kind of cloning device, and it goes wrong, and we ended up with two clones of Red Dwarf itself. But one of them is a virtuous ship, well, mm-hmm. the kind of uh, it, uh, the people on board the ship are cloned as well, and they've all they're all kind of abstentious monks. Yeah. And then the other version of Red Dwarf, which appears, is is a horrible nightmare where they're all psychotic killers. And um, th- th- this is the one where Lister is confronted by the evil version of himself, and um, they. Uh, uh, they kind of explain to him why the other version of himself is the way he is. No way are you part of me. Oh, yes, he is. He's the little boy who used to pull the legs off insects. He's the little boy who, on a hot summer's day, held a magnifying glass to his best friend's neck and watched him burn. <laughs> He's the part of you that wants all your friends to fail. The part of you that loves to watch horror movies. So I think it's really interesting that uh, one of the reasons that they say that, that explains why Lester has a, a kind of dark side, an evil side, is he's the part of you that likes to watch horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously that's got a... I don't think we quite agree with that analysis. But to be fair, the people <laughs> saying that are like massively unbalanced evil characters. Um I don't. I don't think we subscribe to to the view that watching horror movies turns you into a horrible psycho. Um, nah, we're all right. I, and I suppose, um, from a modern sensibility, there is a certain amount of gay panic in that episode, which might look a little bit weird because uh, the evil version of Rimmer is kind of explicitly bisexual, or maybe even yeah. gay. Um, he just he threatens to have sex with Lister anyway, and it's not like there are any female characters around. Um, no, and he's wearing like S and M gear, isn't he? Yeah, so the, like bondage um, gear. But we'll let that pass because if you look at any sci-fi series where they do a parallel universe type episode with evil versions of the characters, Star Trek does it a lot. For some reason, there are always kinky S and M types. Um, <laughs> Hopefully we've kind of moved past that trope now. But um, yeah. So Stella, we've only got a few more minutes. Are there any other Red Dwarf um, highlights you'd like to mention? Um, the only one that I want to mention, and I don't think it's got anything horror in it really. Maybe you can see some horror in there that's not there. I just, I just want to mention my favourite episode, which is White Hole. <laughs> oh, okay. That's is that the Playing Pool with Planets episode? It's the Playing right. Pool with Planets one. Right. Because it's got that wonderful repeating scene mm. where it's like, so what is it? Just <laughs> 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 doing the same thing over and over again. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. And it's it's a bit of script that you know when. So one, there's the bits of films and TV shows that you know really well and your friends know it as well and I've got a couple of friends um, Tom in particular my friend Tom that like I said we, we just say red dwarf things to each other um, whenever we hang out at some point so he lives in London now but whenever we do hang out and we do see each other at some point someone will just go 
So what is it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll go through the whole scene. Like we, we could be doing anything. We're walking down the road. We're in a pub. We could be anywhere. So what is it? <laughs> oh, brilliant. I think that's series four, isn't it? I think so, uh, yeah. I've not seen that episode for a long time. I must watch it because um, I don't know it well enough now that now that you've reminded me of it that's definitely one to check out there are, I mean there are so many good episodes especially mm. in those first four seasons and they all have great concepts like backwards yeah it's fantastic where they go to a planet where everything runs backwards it doesn't have much horror in it um, but it, it's just a really well executed kind of comedy piece um, mm-hmm. and I, I think I, I just want to mention in series six, that's where we get the Polymorph 2 episode. It's called yeah. Emo Hawk Polymorph 2. Emo Hawk. And a couple of the bizarre cameos. You've got um, the TV chef Ainsley Harriet playing an alien in that episode. <laughs> Um, you've also got Hugh Quarshy from Holby City and one of the Star Wars films who plays the voice which just says, literally, that this is all he says. This is girl space. Death to the strangers. That's it. <laughs> they got him in just to do that. Um, you also have kind of in those two seasons, you have recurring characters of simulants which mm. are kind of wonderful evil cyborgs um, who turn up multiple times. Um, and as this might be the last thing I'll mention, um, uh, another horror episode that's worth checking out is from Series 6 called Sirens, um, where they, they, oh, they encounter yeah. these... It's kind of similar to Polymorph. They are recycling yeah. themselves a bit, but they're like big alien insects that don't change shape but are able to psychologically influence you so you see yeah. them as something else. Something you really want, uh, like Pete Tranter's sister. Yes. <laughs> oh, I can't resist you, Pete Tranter's sister. Can't resist. You can't see um, what she's doing with her pointy oh, stick. <laughs> um, and you get weird cameos in that, like Anita Dobson. Uh, who mm. uh, turns up but also yeah. from a horror point of view uh, Jenny Agatha from an American yeah. werewolf in London appears as Professor Mehmet, my creator who is just a siren in disguise and it's a lovely mm. little cameo which uh, Jenny Agatha entirely does in kind of evil blue lighting as well mm. so it's a really kind of chilling little moment <laughs> um, so that's one to check out um, but there are so many there's so many. We could just list each one and say what's funny about it, and we could be here all night. Uh, but we've cheered you. <laughs> but I'd have to go up. to sleep. Yes, bless you. Yeah. Um, it, sleep at some point. <laughs> it's been fun for us, and I hope mm. that we, we brought some cheer to the listener too. And I hope that if you haven't seen Red Dwarf, then you'll go watch it now. Yeah, please um, do. Or if you've not seen it for years, go back and watch it because it's just you'll you'll I don't know. Maybe you won't be surprised, but you will be rolling around your sofa laughing hard yeah definitely I, I, I had a deep dive into it a few years ago and it was the anniversary and i've just had the same feeling just like i've not watched red dwarf for years i want to it's watch so as good. much of it as i can and it's fab and i'm delighted to say that there are still episodes i've never even seen properly even from yeah. the first few years so um i've got those to look forward to right we're right up to the line stella so I should right. say thank you so much for your company. This has been delightful Thanks, fun. Um, we, we got there in the end. We did the Red Dwarf 
podcast. So, <laughs> brilliant. Well, listener, we'll be back. I don't know when or how, but we will be back. Um, we've managed to put out a new episode every week for the last four weeks. So I hope you know that we are um, still delivering content um, put it to you and we care for um, entertaining you. But we just have very little control over ourselves and don't know when or what we'll be producing. But we will be back. And thank you so much for listening. Stella, my friend... It's been wonderful. Until next time. Smoke me a kipper. I'll be back for breakfast. <laughs> Goodbye, Ace Trimmer, my most deadly adversary. <laughs> that is the, one of the good episodes of season seven. Um, all right. Fare thee well, friends. God bless bye. you all. Bye-bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Stella Gaynor and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism. The spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at AndNowPod or at LeeCushingPod. Follow us on Twitter at AndNowPodcast or at LeeCushingPodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash AndNowPodcast. And now, the podcast stops.